Three-point range back with you uh, on a, uh, well, it's June now. And um, that means June sports uh, that we'll be discussing, some traditional things on the calendar. We don't want to spoil it. This is Mike Berardino, joined as always by the scout, Kimball Crosley, the uh, professor, Tim Crothers, and uh, I believe the professor's uh, spawn, Atticus Crothers, joining us uh, uh, from uh, Boston College. And uh, let's go right to the professor. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, happy to have my, uh, my, my spawn join us. Um, he, uh, he only, you know, as college students do, he only woke up three minutes ago, so he, he will not have his own point, but he will rail, railroad this and, and join us. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, we, some of us who shall remain nameless have come up with points in much less time than that. Uh, but we, that's another story for another day. Uh, so, First point, uh, I know you guys, there's nothing you guys love more than a little philosophy. So let's start out with a little philosophy. Um, if, it, if an American falls in the French Open and nobody <laughs> is there to see it, does it even matter? Um, I would argue that, that uh, we are reaching a critical mass here with the French Open. And you know, uh, you know I, that I love my tennis. I've played tennis for 50 years. I've I've played multiple matches against both of you, winning a large, a large majority of those matches, if, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and even my, I even have a side hustle right now as a, as a tennis teacher. Uh, I'm currently mentoring oh my gosh. Um, a, 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 someone who's trying to earn their uh, club championship in, uh, in tennis. So um, yes, it's, it's near and dear to my heart. And, and so the idea that, that, uh, that tennis is just slowly dying on the vine, especially in the U.S., or particularly in the U.S., uh, is troubling to me. But, but uh, it's a fact. It really is that, uh, I mean, I, I, it just kind of struck me the other day that the French Open was actually going on, and, and I, was, I didn't even realize it. I wasn't paying any attention to it. It gets no TV coverage. Uh, I mean, apparently it's on something called the Tennis Channel. I don't, I, I don't have the Tennis Channel. I don't know. I've never seen the tennis channel. I, I guess it exists, but uh, I don't. I, I don't have any familiarity with it. I've never, never watched a match on it. Um, it. Tennis. I guess eventually, when they get to the final, we'll we'll get to see that on, on uh, NBC. But uh, right now, it is a non-factor. The only, in fact, the only peep out of the French Open that I've heard, that I've noticed up to now, um, midway through week one was a little kerfuffle over the fact that uh, that one of the Ukrainian female players refused to shake the hand of one of the Belarusian players, uh, which of course, you know, got, got a little bit of a run on social media, but, but uh, that is it. I mean, other than that, I haven't, I haven't heard anything about the French open. Um, and I, I think it's one of the majors as last, last I heard. So, you know, you'd think that maybe we'd, we'd get a little, a little something from them. So, uh, you know, I decided to do a little research. Well, what I call pre-search because I believe that you can you could actually do research before the podcast as opposed to doing it during the podcast. <laughs> what? As most people do. Um, so I did a little pre-search, and uh, and gosh, if you look at the, you know, I, I, obviously I still follow tennis enough to know 
the most of the names. But if you look at the rankings right now, oh my gosh, in terms of people you know, I mean, get ready, get ready to bring out the dings on this one. All right, number one in the world for the men, Carlos Alcaraz. He's gotten some run. Could be the next Rafi Nadal someday, but he's 20 years old and and certainly not there yet. Then, then, all right, Danil Medvedev. Oh, then there's this guy Novak Djokovic. Okay, so we know him, but he's 36 Joker. years old. But his time is coming. Then Kasper Rude, Stefanos Tsitsipas, ding, ding, ding. Hold your rune, Andre Rublev, ding. The top American, Taylor Fritz, ding on the top American. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, Who the heck is yeah. Taylor Fritz? I, guess, I would just like to just interrupt real quick. This seems like, maybe we yeah. can, can incorporate this. Atticus is certainly capable of doing the, the Crothers ding. He could do the dinging. Yeah. He is. Well, I'm not yeah. hearing him yeah. dinging. Let, <laughs> him ding. Let him do the dinging. It'll flow better. Go ahead. All right. Yannick Sinner. Ding. Ding. Is <laughs> he truly you, awake? Are you having, what is going on? Are you, are you, are you awake? I was eating my cereal as we go. So, oh, oh another eater. We've got another eater. We have uh, one rule. Yannick we have Sinner? one rule on this podcast. Right. Yannick Sinner? Ding. Uh, Haran Kachinov? Ding. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go, Tanner. Let's go to the, let's go to the women's side. Let's okay. go to the women's side. Number one, Inga Swiatek. Ding. <laughs> did she win something? Huh? She won yeah. a major, right? <laughs> she did win a major, yeah. Uh, Arena Sabalenka. Dang. Wow. <laughs> Jessica Pagula. Well, well she's that's like the daughter of the Bills owner. Exactly. So like she gets some run on TV right, usually. But, but, but is Jessica Pagula on her own a non-ding? No, and she is a top American. She's a modern-day... three in the world. Modern-day Carling Bassett. And she is more... She is better... She's more well-known for being the, the daughter of the Bills owner than she is for being the number one tennis player in the world. Ding. Elena Ribakina, Caroline Garcia, owns Jabour from Tunisia. Yeah. Maria Sicari from Israel. Uh... And then, oh, look here, Coco Goff. I've oh, heard yeah. of her. Outstanding. Oh, yeah. my gosh. There's Fine a name player. I've actually – that's a non-ding. That's probably the first non-ding we've come across so far. And I think to myself, okay, Coco Goff. We've been hearing about her for like two or three years now. Um, has she won anything? No. Um, not yet. And I'm, you know, granted, all right, she's 19 years old. Give her time. But, you know, we've certainly had our, seen our share of – Grand Slam winners younger than 19. So it's happened. Uh, so that, I mean, to me, Coco Goff is is the is the the potential savior of the group that we've mentioned at this point. She's the only one who the average sports fan, probably on this on all both of those lists, has has ever heard of, short of uh Djokovic. Atticus, so, what's what cereal are you having today? Oh Mike. Coco Goff. Coco Goff. What's what's he having? Wait, where'd he go? He's gone. Did you fall asleep? He's out. All right. Sorry, I retract the question. Okay. Um, Anyway, so back to this this idea. 
what the heck has happened? Um, we've, you know, basically what's happened is we've lost, you know, we've lost our interest because uh, Americans, other than uh, other than Serena, who who is now finally retired, uh, you know, Americans have not been very good at tennis for a long, long time. You all know when the last time an, an American man won a won a uh, a Grand Slam event? Anybody? Anybody? Nineteen ninety four. I I hear Atticus in the background, though he seems to, seems to have been kicked off the podcast. For Jim Courier. Um, Andy Roddick, 2003. 2003? Wow. wow. 20 years. 20 years. That, that's, that was the last time American won any, American man won any major, any Grand Slam? Yes. 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 A-Rod. Okay. I just told you, A-Rod, yes. I know. So, uh, ding. That's a long, long, long time for, a, for no American championships. And yes. Well, who do we blame for this? One of you. Well, uh, that's a good question. I, I think it's, you know, people, every, everyone's always saying, oh, everybody's playing, all these young kids are playing tennis, blah, 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 blah. But if you look it up and you look at college rosters, it is amazing how many college rosters are filled by foreign born scholarship uh -oh. players. Uh oh. Look this at, is taking look an at ugly the best. turn. Look at the best. Look at the best. Uh, uh, the best college rosters, so many of them are fil filled by foreign-born players. Mm -hmm. We can't even find enough players to give, give scholarships to who are American. And at the same time, a lot of American tournaments that might potentially help garner interest have started to be shipped out to other countries. So a lot of, the, a lot of our, our once proud American tennis tournament, tournament events, you know, short not a Obviously, we still have the U.S. Open. I think we still have Indian Wells. We have very few others um, of any note. And some of them have been shipped out to South America, Asia, whatever. Um, so we are just, there's just a, there's just a, the foundation is crumbling. Uh, and I'm not even going to mention pickleball. I mean, forget it. I, I mean, they might as well, at this point, they're, they might as well just set up, set up pickleball tournament, pick, set up a pickleball tournament, the French Open for all I would know. I wouldn't even know. They could just Kimball could get his uh, get his lines where he wants them to be, and we could we could just go ahead and run it as pickleball. But I I I mean the the bottom line is until we get somebody to get excited about as American fans, because I just don't think we you know without the, without the Fetters and the Dolls of the world, uh, we're just not we're just not willing to plug in to a major event unless there's an American in it that, who's doing well. And unless Coco Goff can kind of get her footing and figure out a way to start winning some of these things, I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know where we find, where we find the, uh, the, the next great player that gets us plugged back into to tennis again. Well, um, go ahead. Well, so for the second straight pod, I'm going to have to call you out on your hypocrisy. You're pointing the finger. The finger should be pointing back at you. You, uh, if I'm not mistaken, are quite an accomplished tennis player from what I heard earlier in this pod with your dominating yes. mic and me. And, and also well, you are, are quite an accomplished tennis instructor, as far as I know. Um, mm -hmm. You have spawn. 
who could be out there fighting the good fight for America. You have a son and daughter who could be the hope for American men and women everywhere if you had just coached them up. So we have the, Atticus here. Atticus was your father negligent? Did he do a bad job? And you you could be going to Boston College on a tennis scholarship right now, but I guess Daddy <laughs> didn't really push you that hard, did he? No, I, I don't I mean I think he would have supported me if I had wanted to pursue tennis. But, but not support, push. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe should, I, I think Sawyer was a more likely great American hope uh, than I am, but uh, just in terms of athletic ability, but but uh, I don't have I don't have the Richard Williams gene in me. I'm sorry, and I think King that's Richard. Good. I'm glad I, you didn't. I, I wasn't. I, I didn't. I didn't have that. But 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 here. But I think this is well, that's what's valid, missing. Is, that's what's missing. Point. This is a valid point. I Atticus and I have played a lot of tennis, but Atticus has has interest in so many other sports. Oh, you're throwing um, him under the bus. <laughs> he, no, he played. I'm not. He played. He played baseball and soccer in uh, in high school, over tennis because that was those were sports that were more interesting to him. Uh, why do you think you Why do you think you played other sports instead of tennis, Atticus? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just liked team sports. And I always grew up playing those. I didn't want to quit one of those to start playing tennis more seriously. So I don't know. Still a recreational tennis player. We should go out and play sometime, I guess. It's the courts right here. But there's still uh, hope. You never know. The door is open. You think? America needs a savior. You think at 18 years old we can just go ahead and get get started at this point and get there? Big boy story. He's almost as old as Coco Goff right now, and I don't (laughs) he's not he's not quite he's not quite ready for the for the tour. But no, I, I mean in all seriousness, I think that is part of the problem is that, uh, is that, you know, kids, yeah, kids grow up and it, they don't see tennis. They don't, they don't think it's something that is really that exciting to, to pursue as, as Kimball has pointed out many times. I mean, it's hard to even find a tennis court anymore with so many pickleball players just destroying our, our, uh, our, our venues for play. And I, and I think, yeah, there's just no question. The kids don't, you know, young kids don't dream of becoming of becoming tennis players. I've even heard the the theory thrown out there that uh, that why you know that kids want to play sports where they know that they're eventually going to be able to sign pro contracts. The one thing about tennis is you're guaranteed nothing. It's kind of like golf. You know, you it's a job. You got to fight. You got to fight for your your living. And if you don't if you don't uh, uh, succeed it's a it's a losing it's a losing business so why how do these other countries develop how do these other countries develop tennis players i mean i really haven't traveled the world that much like like are we being hurt because we have the four professional sports here is there a void there so like oh kids are like it's either soccer or tennis is that really what's going on in these other countries yes i do think that's a big part of it i do think there's just not as much pull Pull in other directions because I because I think you'd find that tennis is thriving around the world uh, in a way that you know even makes it more starkly obvious that tennis is 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 struggling here um, and I do think it's because of that I think you know I do think it's a it, uh, uh, there's a you know along with soccer 
um, certainly behind soccer, but, uh, but in other countries, yeah, I mean, all those, all those names that, that we just dinged are our kids who came up uh, through, you know, th- through um, in many cases in, in these, in these countries uh, programs that were, that were designed to take them when they were six, eight years old and start developing them as tennis players. And that's all they've played. And we have a little of that here, you know, we have our IMGs and, that sort of thing, but I, I don't think we have a structure that's set up as, uh, you know, a, 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 in a way that that funnels these kids into whatever sport they show some talent in early on, and then they become, you know, then they just dedicate their lives to it. Um, truth is, <laughs> there was nothing about me that wanted to say to Atticus when he was four years old, all right, let's pick a sport and you're going to do it 12 hours a day, and then you're going to go to IMG, and hopefully the, you're going to someday play in a Grand Slam. Um, you do. I do think a piece of it too is you do have to have uh, you do have to have that that uh, family structure that sets up sets you up for that sort of path as well. And uh, it's a dangerous game, as we know. I mean, you can become Todd Marinovich. Yes. Yeah, or or Andre Agassi, who overcame that sort of uh, coaching, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm you know I'm looking for uh, for villains here, or at least someone that we can hold accountable. And it strikes me that um, not only do we <laughs> lack not only do we lack uh, uh, players for for the young to emulate on the tennis court or readily available role models, I guess, um, with the passing of time and and the Williams sisters uh, moving on to retirement, but. Uh, we also lack ambassadors uh, who are just in our face constantly. I think of Vic Braden. How do, you couldn't avoid Vic Braden for a long time. Late night television, USA Network. He just made it fun. I can still hear his voice in my head. It's annoying. Bud Collins, the best ambassador of all for tennis. An amazing writer, amazing broadcaster. Made it seem fun. We've lost him since 2016. Uh, Mary Carrillo could do this. So I'm nominating Mary Carrillo, who every time I find her on Real Sports is doing another, you know, amazing interview and profile of something I wasn't even aware of, and obviously was a professional tennis player and goes way back with all the greats. Um, grew up around McEnroe. Um, Mary Ding. Carrillo could do this, don't you think? We need we need somebody to just make it their job every day. They wake up, they're going to get on some program somewhere. They come on our podcast. That would be a poor choice on their part, but they could come on our podcast. <laughs> Mary Carrillo, open open invitation, uh, just to be the Johnny Appleseed of tennis. It's going to need uh, that kind of push, that kind of effort. The uh, USTA president and chairman, uh, my, my, what's the opposite of pre-search, uh, real-time search, uh, I find that it's a person with Notre Dame ties. It's Dr. Brian Hainline. And uh, if you never heard, not Brian Hartline, but Brian Hainline, and uh, he's former number one, number two, uh, number one singles and doubles at, at Notre Dame. So, uh, and, a, and obviously a doctor. Uh, he's the uh, chief medical officer of the U.S. Open for 16 years. Never heard of him. Uh, Brian Hainline, let's go. Let's go. Ten-year sport is dying. And uh, for all the reasons listed above and, and others. Okay, enough of that one. How about uh, we go to, thank you, though, and let's go on to... Uh, uh, someone who actually, I think, is the best tennis player on this podcast. He'd be the top seeded, <laughs> ten tops. The guy I would not. I have, I have a hit with both of you, and uh, 
or at least chased down the ball after I uh, was unable to return it. Uh, while you're on the other side of the net, Kimball's the best tennis player on this show. Wow, thank you, but I'm not worthy. I don't think that's quite true. Um, but no, I, I think... You actually hit I the ball it, with pace, unlike the patty caking that goes on in Chapel Hill. But you don't know, <laughs> no, that is not true. Um, and my game is in great decline. Anyway, let's. Uh, it's baseball season. The Padres are 25 and 30. And I'm going to get Whoa. you guys... Give you guys a rare chance to ask me uh, a Padres question. What? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Fire away. All right. Ask me a Padres question. How many years left on A.J. Preller's contract? <laughs> well, ask me a question that you might ask in a press conference. I, I guess that's a loaded question. Um but I'm do you really want to ask me? That's what Mike. Many. That's what Mike would ask in a quest, in a press. All right. Do you yeah. do you want that? Do you want that to be your question for real? No. Um, uh, well, what's the general morale of the uh, front office and scouting crew right now with the Padres? A lot of pressure when you spend that kind of money. Okay. First, I'll answer the question as, as Noah Syndergaard would answer it. Okay. And um, <laughs> oh man, we're we're fighting. We're we're trying to get back to where we were last year when we went to the uh, NLCS. You know, I think everyone in this room would give up. His her her firstborn child for us to get there. Um, Sorry, Atticus. <laughs> now, now I'll, I'll, I will answer as Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick would answer that question. He would say, um, "Well, we um, uh, we're morale, just gonna Bill. how's the morale play or." Uh, we're just going to play better. So just we got to do a better job. It's a, just better job. And now I will answer as Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra would answer. You know, um, I don't think there's anyone uh, in this org that's not disappointed with how we play. But at the same time, I don't think there's anyone that doesn't believe we can get this going. There's a lot of season left. We all believe. Um you know, baseball is a funny game. Uh, there's a lot of guys with some pretty good track records of hitting and hitting and situational hitting where we've just been historically bad as of right now. And I, I just think we're going to turn it around. So my point is this. And, what? Oh, I was going to say, and Eric Spolster would deflect away from the question about what was the inspirational video he showed the team. I don't know if any of the rest of you saw that, but <laughs> Ernie Johnson kept trying to kept trying to catch him on that after Adebayo brought up that Spolstra had showed them this inspirational video. And then uh, Spolstra did not want to answer that question at all. Anyway. Well, that's, that's a good, that's seven. a good, that's a good point, Atticus. So you, the point is a uh, couple points here. You can be a great coach and still answer questions in a civilized manner. You know, you can still do that. You know, Eric Spolstra has proven he's had an amazing track record. I think it's, you know, might surprise some people to know just how how incredible his, his run has been. Um, but, you know, this is the sixth time he's made the finals in 15 years. Um, and he, he's really had a great run as a guy that succeeded Pat Riley. And I think he's done it the whole time with being able to answer questions in a press conference like that. Now you don't have to like give up trade secrets. You don't have to say, Hey, you know, that was coach speak. 
That was well, code speak. Well, it, 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 it is. No, it, it is and it isn't. Like, like if you heard if you heard his response when they first asked him about um, when uh, they won the series over the Celtics, he, you know, he he was very um, thoughtful and and honest, and he said like, you know, and he he. he Took his time to say, "Hey, first thing I want to do is congratulate the Celtics." But you know that is coach speak. But he also said, "Like, hey, you know, we all know how Pat Riley feels about this org, and I've had to like about the Celtics, and I've had to sort of carry on that tradition." So he is he is acknowledging, you know, some things there without like going into the dirty dark details. So you can do both. You can be answer the question, you know, and not again give away the trade secrets. But but still answer it, um, and also still by not you know giving up your firstborn. So a couple questions here for you guys then, because I think my point is that you can do it. I believe, and I want to ask you guys. You've been in a lot of press conferences. Um, you know, do you think that's true? Do you think you have to, you know, to be a great coach, you have to hold something back? And then I will ask Atticus a separate question. So the firstborn question, Atticus. How do you feel as a firstborn? How do you feel if your dad did the same thing? Like I'd give I'd give my firstborn to, I don't know, I guess he would now be to be the savior for American tennis. Um uh, would that be okay with you? We, we don't have a <laughs> what do you think? I don't really know what to say to that, I guess. <laughs> uh, wow, sounds like uh, you might be okay with it. You know, if it's my dad's feet. dream. It is what it is, to quote a common <laughs> coach speak phrase. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it takes for uh, this team to get to the next level. Wow, that is sacrifice. So you, you'd be okay with me? I guess this question is, you, I, I'm in order for me to save American tennis, I'm willing to give up my firstborn? Is that what you're Yeah, asking? just as Noah Syndergaard famously said, you know, yesterday that if – to get back to who he used to be as a pitcher, he would give up his firstborn child. Well, how about this? How about how about the pre- previous uh, podcast we talked about Max Scherzer yes. saying he yes. would he, he swear he would swear on the lives of his children that he was not yes. using foreign substances. He was hit with a ten game suspension. He did not appeal. So what? He's basically admitting guilt to me. Uh, and his so all right, so. It's just crazy. But Spolster, the first let's get back to Spolster. Wonderful yeah, point. Get... You, can, you can be in a pressure situation, the ultimate pressure in your sport. You can be on live. And it's still goofy to me that they make the coaches or the managers speak during the game, uh, even for 30 seconds. It's just, you know, Popovich was the complete opposite end. Uh, of well, He turned it into an art form with one word, non-answers, and just looking angry. But he wasn't fully angry because he knew he had the best team. He'd figure it out. But that was kind of his shtick. Uh, certainly didn't go into much detail. Spolster has done this from the beginning. And I was around in South Florida uh, for those teams when he was first taking over for Riley. And then they really went down quickly. They had they had injury problems. He learned on the fly. He had to do something not many Hall of Fame coaches have been given a chance to do. And I think he's headed to the Hall of Fame as is follow a legend um not have a ready-made winner at his hand when he took over and then coach different types of teams those lebron teams even there were times remember Shaq called stan van gunny 
Stan Van Gundy, the, the master of panic, got him fired. That's the only reason that Riley came back to coach the 06 Heat to a championship. Riley did that for a couple of years, couldn't connect anymore with the guys, got tired of it, went back upstairs, kicked himself back upstairs, and brings in his assistant who started out as a video coordinator. Just the, He was the guy in the back room, didn't even get to go onto the court during the games for several years in the 90s, early Heat uh, days. Riley inherited him and kept him. Eric Spolstra was flailing in the first year of the of the Super Friends Heat. Uh, they got off to a terrible start. And there was a lot of pressure, but Riley stuck with him. Spolstra kept working at it. He's just his decency comes across. He's got a good sense of humor. He's incredibly smart, but he never acts like he's the smartest guy in the room. And he somehow brings everybody along with him. I've seen those. He did it again after they lost the incredible game. I didn't really watch any of the series, but I, I actually tuned in to the post game. I just wanted to watch the post game after that, that uh, miracle loss in game six and everyone is acting. Even Shaq, master of panic, said uh, in the post game, I don't know how the Heat you know, can recover from this. He said that multiple times. I don't know how they can recover from this. The Celtics go up to be seven game or seven point favorites at home in game seven. We know how it turned out. Spolstra's most important coaching of that turnaround came in the words he chose and the, in the manner he projected post game after this last second tip in to beat him. And he said, I, basically, he was, he was he, just like Kimball said. He, he did congratulate Celtics. He was like, he was not defeated in any way. He was just like, I don't, I don't know exactly how we're going to do it. But all we have to do, we have to go up to Boston and find a way. And we will find a way. And it was just, it, it, it wasn't any great revelation. You don't expect him to break it down and give you the three keys or anything. He just didn't seem defeated or deflated. He just felt... It just felt like a, it was a leader speaking. They'd get on a plane. They'd go up to Boston. They'd do something they'd already done twice that series. And they did it again. And I wasn't surprised. Um, so, yeah, Eric Spolstra is a great example that uh, for a variety of reasons that um, a career can, uh, can, can be a slow cooker on the way to the Hall of Fame. It doesn't have to be immediate success. And it doesn't have to be former big-time uh, – NBA star, or it doesn't have to be obvious like that. You can you can grow into the role, and and uh, and you can treat people with decency. I've never seen him snap at anybody. Uh, I don't, you tell me. I mean, we, all those guys. If, if something can go viral very quickly, if you lose your cool, and I don't think Spolster ever lost his cool. I I think we've sort of wandered away from the original point here. I mean, you 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 sort of brought us back there at the end, but. Um, whether I don't know whether Eric Spolster is a great coach or not, because I, as you know, I don't pay much of any attention to the NBA. Uh, it sounds like you're saying that he's. I know he started he's got a off YMCA like team. He's basically got a YMCA team into the finals, and the team in, in right. 2020 good, wasn't and, anything. And good for him. Either. Good for him. I, the point, the original point, I I feel like was more based on whether whether or not you can be honest honest with the media, uh, or at least decent with the media. And the tr and yes, I, I'm. I have done. I've been in the media for a long time, and I, I don't believe that any coach ever says anything that they don't want to say. Um, and most of them are incredibly boring coach speakers. And maybe Eric Eric Spolster is not. I don't know. Again, I haven't listened to him enough to to make that judgment. So I'll go to a sport uh, that I do that I do pay attention to, and tell you that I you know at the very least. The, what I want out of a coach 
and I'm just picking this one out of the blue. There are probably others, but uh, I'll tell you who I, I always enjoy listening to. And I do think, well, certainly there's a level of coach speak involved because he's only saying what he wants to say to, to get the most out of his players, but has always, is always entertaining to listen to. And that's John Calipari. I've, I've, you know, even, even on, even on those, those, those interviews that we all hate, you know, the going off the court at halftime, he will always be entertaining. He'll always say something that is honest that, you know, if his, if his team sucked, he'll say they sucked. And he'll even sometimes call out some of his own players in a situation like that. And he always does it in post game too. And it's one of the reasons that John Cheney tried to kill him one time. But yeah, I mean, the guy, the, the guy will, the guy, the guy will, will dish it, uh, dish it, even in a press conference situation, which we all know is the worst possible situation you can get yourself into uh, as a coach. You, you, you just always want to say the most boring and drab and Belichickian thing you can. But, uh, but Calipari is always good in that situation. And so I do think there, there are examples, um, few and far between, but there are examples of, of guys that, you know, as a, as someone covering a team, oh my gosh, thank, uh, if I was a Kentucky beat writer, I would just, I would just be in heaven with John Calipari because at least he's, you know, he, he will address the question. And again, I don't, I don't pretend to think for a minute that he ever says anything that he later regrets saying like, Oh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that that was too honest. Uh, I know coaches motivate their players through the media and that's how that's all, all that he's doing. But, uh, you know, in terms of who we're looking for, somebody who, that we're looking for to kind of, to kind of give us a little shred of honesty here and there, uh, that's the kind of coach that I'm looking for. You know, it's interesting you say that because I've, I've noticed some of that with Cal Perry. And I, my theory on why that is, is because um, his, his bigger master objective, whenever he opens his mouth, and, you know, for better or worse, and I, I kind of like Cal Perry, is um, is recruiting. And so I think whenever he speaks, he's always thinking, he's always messaging that next guy that might come to Kentucky. And part of what he's saying is like, I'm going to be honest with you. When you play well, I'm going to tell you. When you play poorly, I'm going to tell you. I'm not insecure about my own coaching ability, which is why a lot of coaches get defensive, right? Because they don't mm -hmm. really they, – they, you know, they say things because they are insecure and, and, and they're also paranoid, but Cal Perry doesn't have that. You know, he'll, he'll, he's often, you know, throws blame on himself. And again, that's to like help recruiting, you know, and so like I did a bad job getting our, you know, these kids are young and, and they're not ready and I, I, I haven't prepared them well or whatever. He'll, he'll often just, it just seems like all his messaging is, is to that regard. And that puts him in that space, you know, um, and I just think that's an interesting phenomenon because he's in a whole different world, right? Belichick is never going to be recruiting, you know, when he's talking and, 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 and pro coaches for the most part are not going to be, but that college coach, especially that game, you know, the, the high level college basketball, it's almost all about, can you get the next guy? And so like, it feels right. like that's, that's his whole messaging, which is just an interesting concept. Cause back when we were covering Dean, I don't think that was, Obviously, that was not first and foremost on his mind. I would no, say Nick Nick Saban. We, we've lionized on this show before as well, and and uh, Nick Saban's so good at the 
at that awkward press conference uh, gathering uh, in terms of messaging, being entertaining. He just did it again uh, with his NIL thoughts. Um, you know, he's just really good at uh, getting the point across for recruiting reasons, for sending the, the bat signal out to the Alabama collective to get going, whatever it is to motivate his own team. Sometimes that sometimes part of that is to be intimidating toward the media to beat us down a little bit if we're getting a little too comfortable uh, to remind us that it's it's his show and nobody wants to be embarrassed while the cameras are rolling. So that's why the, the, the questions tend to be more fawning. Um, but yeah, right. if you're going to well, do you this can role, only do that also. You can only do it if you're not worried about your job. You can only do it if you're not worried about your job. That's the bottom line. And yeah. you're only going to see coaches coaches do that who aren't worried about their job. Saban and Calipari would both fit that. Yeah, yeah. It's a can- candor comes mm-hmm. with a price, um, and mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but controlled candor, I guess, or or or, or, or performed. It's all performance. And um, but I thought Spolstra post game six did it uh, perfectly in that spot. So we're two thirds of the way through our our uh, first uh, podcast three point range of June. We thank you for finding us. Um, we're uh, on uh, Google, Stitcher, Amazon Podcast, etc. Uh, we have a Substack. We have a, and a Facebook page, and um, we uh, will continue continue to do this as long as Kimball has our numbers. <laughs> And now we will. Okay. And so for our final point of the uh, first three point range of June, I, I think uh, it'd be pertinent to talk about the NBA and in particular with the NBA finals about to start Denver Nuggets and the aforementioned Miami Heat. It caught my attention that uh, Jeff Van Gundy, the lead analyst on the, on the league these days and for the past several years, um, was asked basically the classic question uh, on a conference call of uh, if you were commissioner for a day, how would you fix the sport or how would you change? What's the rule change you'd like? And he tossed out Van Gundy's always compelling, Jeff Van Gundy. Stan, I respect, but I really a tough listen, a tough listen on the, on, on television. Um, Jeff said, and uh, since we're all about fixing sports on this podcast, I think this is uh, right up our alley. Jeff Van Gundy would like to see, you know, considering uh, every sport is trying to streamline things, MLB is getting a lot of attention for, for uh, its uh, game-shortening measures. Well, what if the NBA could limit the game to two hours or so as opposed to two and a half quite often? And how would that happen? Jeff Van Gundy, former Knicks and Rockets coach, says eliminate free throws until the last four minutes. If you get fouled on a shooting foul, you just get the points. So two-point attempt, uh, you can have two points. You shoot from beyond the arc and somebody barely touches your hand, you get three automatic points. You do not go to the line until the last four minutes of the game. Uh, no technical, technical foul happens, just award the points. Um, he, would, he would like to eliminate halftime. He thinks halftime is the biggest waste of time. He says there's a myth about halftime adjustments, which uh, is something we always belabor, it seems, when there's a big swing of uh, one way to the other uh, in the second half. So he would just like to eliminate it entirely, saving that, because, of course, there are ads to sell and money money to make for these rights fees. 
Uh, he'd reduce it to five minutes, basically a bathroom break for the two teams instead of this whole trudging back to the locker rooms and, and, uh, and listening to the, uh, the coach uh, tell you what you just did. So I'd like to endorse a good amount of that, but I'd like to tweak it because we are, in a, uh -oh. you know, I, I do think we can tweak it. Uh, but I, I pray, you know, I'm, I, I commend him for putting that out there. Um, it's interesting that we had talked. He obviously is listening to the show uh, because uh, oh, yes. obviously just recently, you know, we, we went on and on about the, uh, uh, the idea of, the, of three to make two maybe coming back. Um, I believe Tim and I endorsed that. This would be the opposite of that. This would be basically uh, no more free throws until the last four minutes of the game. That, that, that's interesting, but I, here's how I'd tweak it. Um, you want to keep the game flow. You want to disincentivize uh, fouling for the bulk of the game. Then, uh, but, but I'd be very wary of putting all the power in the hands of the officials to award points. So how about if there's a foul, once this is what, by the way, that's once you get into the bonus. I, I believe, I believe that's his point there. There'd be no, well, there'd be, uh, no, there'd be no fat. There'd be no free throws at all until the last four minutes. But um, how about once you wouldn't award these points, but once you get into the bonus, uh, you can award one point and the ball, one point and the ball to the team that was fouled. Um, and, and rather than just give them three or automatic two, and so at, at some point, teams are going to play more careful defense, be less handsy because they're not going to want to give up even one point. Um, Halftime, five minutes seems reasonable. Of course, um, they're pretty much not going to be able to leave the floor if that's the case. So uh, things will, will just kind of move along. Um, what you could do, though, is limit the number of timeouts just slash the number of time. I don't even know how many full timeouts there are anymore. They go on forever um, for obvious reasons. For <laughs> for the aforementioned, that's one reason they have to do the filler 30-second interview, you know, and uh, uh, on, on the court with, with Doris. So just streamline that, maybe one time, one full, one 30-second timeout per half per team. That's it. You can't carry them over. Um, and voila, you have a two-hour NBA game. I might be tempted, might be tempted to tune in to <laughs> if I felt that confident it would be, you know, in and out experience, boom, boom, go. One of the great things about college basketball traditionally is it is contained if almost, not always, but oft, quite often it's a two-hour experience. It's, you're not signing up for two and a half hours with a, with a college basketball game. Um, what do you guys think of Jeff Van Gundy's brainstorm? I, I I almost think this was not a sincere interview. Like he was just being flip. No. Right? Like, no, I mean, it, look, I respect him. In fact, it was Jeff Van Gundy um, who, uh, in a recent in a Sports Illustrated article uh, about him and his brother, Steve Russian's article, by the way, Ding, uh, said that uh, he, he too agrees we should eliminate the three-point uh, corner shot. So echoing what we've introduced here on three-point range. So I like that, but I, I can't take this seriously. Like there's something about just awarding points that, that strikes me as wrong. I don't know if you feel that way, Tim, but it just feels like weird if you just was like point, point. 
You know, like, like no one goes to the line. No one actually puts the ball through the basket and you're just like racking up points. I don't know. Just something. It sounds like around the horn to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Good, good point. So it just, it just strikes me as wrong. And then think about this. You guys love the drama of the free throw. It, you would have no free throws at all the last four minutes. And you want to know how bad free throw shooting would be then. And then imagine the following then because like, no one's used to going to the line, and now we start hacking. And now, like, oh, they don't get free points now for the fouls. It, the, the end of the game would become more of a foul fest than ever. So I don't quite take um, – I, I don't like those suggestions. And um, I, I have – you know, my, I'm all about, like, you want to speed up the game? Yeah, eliminate all the random fouling at the end of the game and, and make that a penalty. And I, I have, you know, talked about, like – you know what you do? You don't give up the ball. You give them one free throw in the ball. And then there's like, what do you get from fouling? Nothing. Um, and then the other things about shortening the game are just ridiculous because, of course, we could shorten a lot of games by just taking out all the TV timeouts or fewer TV timeouts or shortening the TV timeouts. And so, you know, I, I doubt the network is going to want to take away its 15 minutes or whatever they take it at halftime. Although I do, right? Like the NFL – I don't even know what you get in an NBA game, but the NFL, you know, quite noticeably reduced its half times years ago when games were taking so long. And when you watch an NFL game now, aren't you surprised? Like, damn, 12, we're back already. 12 minutes. You know, is it 12? Yeah. Or like they, yeah. they go pretty fast. And it's funny because if there's one sport that you feel like needs a halftime for halftime adjustments, it's football, right? I mean, you feel like they're oh, going in there and like retaping and, 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 yeah. and you know, you got to get the painkillers injected, all that. Yeah. I mean, just for a ton of reasons, you know? Um, so yeah, I, 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 I like the idea maybe between, you know, shortening games, but, I'll, and I will say this last thing is, you know, you don't want to take the drum out of sports and just pure action and speeding things up and just like nonstop, you know, just seeing players on the floor moving around might take out some of the drama and that's been even talked about in baseball. You know, these, these rule changes are good for the regular season, but when we get to the postseason, that what, what makes baseball a postseason so great is the drama and the drama of baseball. And, and when guys are just like pumping in, you know, pitches, will we lose some of that? All right. Well, I, as we know, I'm not an NBA fan, so I, I'm going to defer much of my time uh, to Atticus because I know he and the boys in 404 Gonzaga at Boston College actually watched the NBA. But first, Kimball, answer me one question really quickly. Is halftime useful as a coach? Is halftime useful? Absolutely. And you know what? Listen, it's different in high school basketball. I mean, especially when you talk timeouts, they enforce those one-minute timeouts. We're not getting like a three-minute commercial break your timeout in a high school basketball game goes fast. I mean, it is frantic just to get the players over. You, you, you make, you're lucky to get in a point or two. And at halftime, you know, I mean, some games you're just like, hey, we're going good. Keep it going. But a lot of times you are trying to go over things. Um, and, and, and I think it is a, a key break in the game. And it's not like you're reinventing the wheel, but there are things to address. How many, how many, uh, how, how many people do you have on your staff, Kimball, to, to take out the little mini chairs out near the foul line so you can gather? I've never, I've never done that. I've never been to bring the chairs out to the court guy. Uh, 
I am just amazed whenever they have whenever they do get a mic inside one of the NBA huddles in and how little is actually said. I mean, I'm always just shocked that it's like I think that they're 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 sharing the wisdom and really all they're doing is all right guys, we've really got to concentrate on the boards. We got to get we got to get better on defense. It's like really is that that's that's if that's what's happening, I I don't yeah. you know, I think it's a waste no, of time. No, I I I mean, I, I've wondered the same thing, and I don't know what goes on in an NBA huddle, but I got to think that part of that is, yeah, you, do. you know. You get a chance the, to listen in every once in a while, and that's what No, we no, but I think they're just showing, I think there's limits to what they're allowed to show. They're not going to, like, I, I'm guessing, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's all NBA Some coaches do. because live. Yeah, that's maybe live. that's just, that's how the game goes. I mean, maybe it is, like, you know, we're not really talking about X's and O's. We're just talking about trying to motivate in those small factors. Um, so yes, I, I've wondered the same thing, but I also wonder if, if they're not showing, you know, the part where they say like, Hey, we're going to start doubling on the ball screens now, but they don't, the strategic part they're leaving out. I don't know. It's, it's, it's been a question of mine, but I guarantee you at high school time out, you are, you know, you are addressing real things. You're saying like, come on now. Remember we talked about this. You've got to front the post there and you're giving real specific instruction usually. All right. Well, I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to defer most of my time to Atticus, but I, I will say this, that if I was going to fix the NBA with, with in one way, it would be try to figure out a way to make them pass the ball. When Atticus and I, when I was a coach and Atticus was one of my players, we would run a drill during practice where every time down the ball, down the floor, we had to make at least five passes. Five. Before we took a shot. Hoosiers. Five. <laughs> five passes before we take a shot. And of course, you know, as soon as the game started, I thinking that that would be a, that would be somehow adapted through osmosis into their brains. As soon as the game started, we'd get down and check up the first three we we could and and what about that drill where we couldn't it. dribble at all? There you go. Yes, that's right. We had a we had a Sweet. drill where you you could not dribble. You had Team to handball. you had to make you, you had to take a shot uh, off off of nothing but passes and and player movement. I can't even imagine such a thing in the NBA. But anyway, Atticus, how would you fix the NBA? I don't know. I mean, I was in your camp. And then, as you mentioned, I've been influenced by my friends at school to start watching the NBA a little more. And I don't know. I still find it kind of dull until the end of the game, I would say. So those, like, really those last four minutes of the of the fourth quarter when the when the free throws would be being shot is, is when I would really start paying attention, I feel like. But. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I I think I'm I'm somewhere in the like I've I've grown to find it a little more interesting as I've been paying attention more. But I don't know. I think I think timeouts are are overused. I mean, we're I remember my friends definitely talking about that. Um, like in in college basketball games in the tournament this year, just like why are there so many timeouts? It just feels like it breaks up the breaks up the rhythm of the end of the game so much, especially too. Um, like even like I, I would I feel like I would be less concerned about the the like numerical time of the game and more just sort of the pace of the end of the game, which obviously is like it's unless you just eliminate fouling like I, I guess which is the kind of thing that's being talked about here. Like obviously that's always gonna be an issue at the end of the game, but I feel like uh timeouts can really disrupt that when you're just um, I mean, especially in college basketball, I haven't watched that much NBA to see this, I guess. But, but 
in college basketball when it's like, okay, one team calls a timeout and then you come back out on the floor and the other team calls a timeout before the before the ball even gets passed in. It just that really I feel like takes away from the fan experience for sure. But I don't know. I'm I'm still an amateur NBA fan, so I don't know if I should speak on it too much. But do you want to do you do you want to see free throws eliminated from from basketball and no, before, that's before, before that it, it messes with stats too, which I like. I know that's an argument people would use more against against changes to baseball. Like, obviously, how do we evaluate stolen bases now compared to the past? Now that bases are bigger and stuff, but um, but it. I mean, I agree with Kimball that if you just start awarding points, it's like, well, so whose points are those? And should that really count if you didn't actually make a shot yourself? And Well, it would be um, like a team uh, rebound, uh, I guess. Well, well, no, no, whoever got fouled, I guess he can have that point. But, yeah, you know, it bastardizes some things. Kimball made a larger point within that that maybe uh, was jarring, and that, he suggested that, that uh, game flow – is uh is at odds with drama that you you don't have as much drama if they're just going back and forth yeah back and forth if it's just uh you know wild uh shots and missed shots especially poor play is not um very compelling regardless of the pace but uh when i think of uh some of the some of the best action and that resonates it stays with you over the years i mean when Two teams are playing at a high level, and there's just back and forth excellence. I think of the well, we <laughs> the, the great Houston NC State, uh, or sorry, Houston Louisville game in the '83 Final Four was was a uh, was epic yeah. in part because the officials let them play. When they let them play, and they're back and forth, and they're above the rim. That's I mean, that's just all time stuff. And I suppose there are some moments when that can happen uh, still. Um, Maybe it'll happen in this finals. I I, I doubt it, but um, uh, there's just uh, there are some great individuals. In fact, the, the single best player in the game right now in that in that finals. But uh, I don't I don't mind. I don't see how action back and forth, especially high level action, is uh, is lacks drama. Yeah, that is well. That is one thing I would say is Dad give Jokic a chance in the in the finals here. I don't know how much you've really watched Jokic. Probably not at all, but. Uh, Jokic can pass, so let's give that a chance. I have never seen Nikola Jokic play basketball, not for one second ever, except well, on a highlight. And and, not, and you should watch. You you should watch because there are a lot of things we've talked about in this podcast about basketball, and one is you know the big man coming back. You talk about cutting. The the Nuggets are all about giving the ball to the big man in the middle of the floor, moving and cutting, letting him make decisions, and um, he really is a, a special player. I mean, he looks terrible. I think his body's going to fall apart <laughs> one of these days. But but it's it's remarkable what he can do. And and the NBA, you know, to its credit, has has done a lot better about um, taking away the stationary part of the game. They've actually been hurt more by the whole you know three point and screen and roll and that simplicity than they have by their old you know legal defense rules, which really made it a joke in the past. Why does Jokic bleed so much? That's a I think the Wall Street <laughs> Journal looked into that. He's 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 the Chuck Wepner of the NBA. It's, how can you be that great? How can you be that great? Uh, you know, throughout the game, but also your your skin is so uh, soft that you that you you cause the game <laughs> by yourself to be stopped several times, so you can be salved. 
well, when you watch him, there's a lot of weird contact that he gets that he, you know, creates himself in some ways. It's it's a little bit goofy. It really, you'll, you'll feel like you're back at the YMCA playing the biggest, nastiest dork you've ever played against. Yeah, well, I can relate. Um, Atticus, anything else to add? Do uh, you have a prediction on this NBA Finals? The, the Nuggets are prohibitive favorites for it. 425 yeah, to, I mean, to one. I mean, I don't, I'm going to be honest. I have not watched the Nuggets play a single minute uh, live wow. this season either. But, but I mean, for, like, from what I'm hearing, it should be fun. I mean, you got that whole incident from earlier in the season where uh, Jokic just took a total cheap shot at uh, Markeith Morris and that whole fight ensued. And, and uh, so obviously mm-hmm. we've got some bad blood there that's going to be raised oh. again. And then, I mean, uh, Jokic with his, with his two, I don't know how much you all have seen this, but Jokic has his his like gangster brothers, his older brothers who like, <laughs> some, like sit there menacingly on the sideline. So, um, so I mean, you got that bad blood already, and then then the brothers show up. So I think there could be some fireworks for sure. Yeah, yeah, Mike. This this is where Mike gets involved. This, other than the gambling, this is um. There might be a shooting in this finals, but but also I'm on uh, record. Metal detectors as, for everyone. As much love as we've given fair. Eric Spolstra, I just think the Heat are going to get destroyed. Yeah. I don't think this is going to be very competitive. Yeah, um, it's interesting. The the Nuggets are four to one favorites, four and a, four and a quarter to one favorites to win the whole series. But if you want to be specific and drill down on the exact number of games they'll win, uh, you can actually get odds in your favor. And I think that's how I'll be uh, indulging. And, and I don't think, I don't see the, uh, the heat of being able to hang with them in, in part because uh, Jimmy Butler has his moments, uh, but uh, he's uh, Jimmy Butler loves him some Jimmy Butler. And I, and I, and I don't know that he always shows up uh, in the biggest moment. He certainly wasn't this Caleb Martin, who I'd never heard of, uh, until the, this past series, because I don't pay attention. Uh, he went to a, NC State for crying yeah, out Caleb loud. Caleb Martin, on, man. I never, never watched him. Never watched him. Did you, mm-hmm. did you ever think he had this in him to, to be the best player on on the winning side in a in a seven game series at this level? No, right. So that's I, I didn't think he could average and his people. ten points in the G League. Mm-hmm. Chris Quinn is uh, also so. their key key assistant with the with the Heat, probably a future NBA coach, head coach. All right, well, that was fun. <laughs> We've completed our show. Uh, thank you to uh, Atticus Crothers, uh, the spawn of the professor, Tim Crothers. Thank you to the scout, Kimball Crosley, for uh, the non-answers about the San Diego Padres. And uh, as that was smart. And uh, this has been Mike Berardino. This has been Three Point Range. And uh, we'll chat at you next time. I'm keeping my boy. Screw tennis. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. The show is over now. <laughs>